In Trump time, truth, straight, no chaser, the definitive insider's account of the White House of Trump. Peter Navarro's In Trump Time War Room is brought to you by Getter, the Twitter killer. Sign up for Getter today and strike a blow against cancel culture. Getter, the Twitter killer, an ultimate in social media engagement. Now here's Dr. Peter Navarro deep in the D.C. swamp from the In Trump Time War Room. Hi, I'm Peter Navarro, and welcome to episode two of the In Trump Time podcast. Today, I am simply going to play for you two extended excerpts from Steve Bannon's War Room, where I guest hosted today in the 11 o'clock hour. In the first excerpt, I will talk about America's third day of infamy when the Chinese communists came to town on January 15, 2020. Then in the second excerpt, I'll talk a lot about executive privilege and why it is important for patriots like Steve Bannon and cowards like Mark Meadows to stand up in support of executive privilege. So, as the president loves to say, let's go. Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. But you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning Americans to avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Peter Navarro sitting in for Stephen K. Bannon. We've got a packed hour for you today, War Room. And we're going to start with uh, December 7th um, in the B block. We're going to talk a little bit about why um, our leader, our fearless leader, and he is fearless, is not with us right now. Um, And then at the bottom of the hour, we're going to have uh, a a discussion uh, about censorship with uh, one of the people who is working with uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. on his um, Tony Fauci book, uh, and it's going to be uh, an incredible hour. So let's get started here. Uh, today, obviously, um, is a somber day for America, December 7th, uh, Pearl Harbor. Uh, but we are in a situation where uh, I would argue that we're approaching um, another Pearl Harbor event uh, that may eclipse anything that ever happened. Uh, in World War II. Uh, Really, we are in a situation where we're facing now a significant existential threat uh, by the Chinese Communist Party. Um, And it all starts, and for the the listeners of the podcast, I'm going to use some visuals here, uh, but I'm going to try to um, uh, talk talk our way through it as I do it. What's, uh, What's behind me on the screen is uh, uh, is where the third uh, Pearl Harbor effectively happened. The the second one, of course, is the Twin Towers. What we have here is a picture of the vice premier of China, communist China, Liu He, 
shaking the hand of President Donald John Trump. And behind us, we have uh, the, the number of the Chinese apparatchiks uh, who, when I was in the White House, uh, I repeatedly uh, sat across the table with, uh, often clashed uh, during the negotiations with. Um, and then, of course, on this side, we have um, the um, vice president here who we'll talk a little bit about and the B block uh, really uh, betrayed the American Caesar here. It's a very Shakespearean tragedy. And of course, this, this, uh, this idiot here, he's really one of the biggest idiots that ever served in American government. Um, former Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin's little smirky smile here. Um, he's the guy where uh, I believe strongly if he had never darkened the door of the White House, uh, President Trump would still be sitting in the Oval Office. This man, Steve Mnuchin, was that dangerous and toxic um, to the presidency um, of the United States, not just because of what he did um, on the China uh, issue, but also because of his failure um, in terms of economic policy, his failure uh, during the pandemic. So why, why do I talk about this as, as the third Pearl Harbor moment? If you think about where we were on January 15, 2020, uh, President Donald John Trump was, was literally at the top of his game in every way. Um, as he sat across the table from Leo Ha in the East Wing that day, we had an economy which was the envy of the world and it was the strongest in modern history. We had an unemployment rate down to three and a half percent. Um, importantly for the deplorables in this country, the MAGA folks, uh, we had for the first time in a very long time, real meaning inflation adjusted wages were rising disproportionately uh, for blue collar and black and brown Americans. Uh, Unemployment rates uh, for women, Hispanics, uh, were at historic lows. I mean, the economy was rock solid, and it was largely because uh, we had engaged in tough trade policies, particularly on communist China with our, with our tariffs uh, that were finally leveling the playing field. We had renegotiated the NAFTA agreement. We had the tariffs in place on China. Uh, we had uh, the, the corporate tax rate lowered, which is important not to enrich the corporations, but simply to uh, lower the relative tax rate so investment would come here rather than over there. It wasn't just the economy uh, that was doing so well, though. Uh, we had uh, incredibly uh, peace in North Korea. This is, this is a, a, a significant event. It, it's really uh, underscores the doctrine of peace through strength that first Reagan and then Donald Trump preached. Uh, when, when Donald Trump took office, uh, <clears throat> Kim Jong-un, the, the brutal dictator of North Korea, was actively flying ICBMs, testing them, doing underground nuclear tests. He had about 12 nuclear bombs acquired, in, and he was on a path uh, towards being able to hit Seattle, Chicago, and, and uh, perhaps Wall Street eventually um, with his nuclear weapons. But the boss, um, with his, his really tough, tough, tough stance, had that down in abeyance. We had taken the Iran deal out 
um, that, that John Kerry had put in, which was ridiculous. Um, and uh, it really surprised the world. When, when Trump came in, they figured he didn't know much about foreign policy and he'd screw things up. And it was just the opposite. In, in Europe, we had NATO partners finally paying their fair share. I mean, everything was going, go, going perfect. Um, the, and the southern border also, uh, we had able to threaten Mexico with tariffs, and they, they shut that border. So if you're sitting there in this, this east wing on January 15, 2020, uh, most people were thinking that President Trump uh, was an absolute lock for re-election. But what the Chinese Communist Party was thinking, what Xi Jinping was thinking, what this 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 evil, evil man behind his smile uh, was thinking was that Donald John Trump was the only one who stood up to the uh, Chinese Communist Party and its economic aggression, its military expansionism, its human rights abuses uh, of any president in history. And I was sitting in the audience myself in, a, in literally in a cold sweat. Uh, I'd been talking with Steve Bannon um, you, you don't know how prescient this was for, for Bannon to come up with War Room Pandemic. I mean, think about that. He starts a radio show called War Room Pandemic two months before uh, the World Health Organization declares a pandemic. At the, and he's, he's, he's forming this show at the same time that Tony Fauci's telling everybody that everything's going to be okay. I mean, it was truly prescient. Um, he didn't do it alone. Miles Guo, the expat uh, who was behind uh, uh, Getter, um, he, he was warning us that the Chinese uh, had likely created this, this demon virus uh, and were getting ready to use it so that they could take down Hong Kong and maybe a sitting president. Stephen Hatfield, who used to be part of this show quite a bit, uh, was warning of the same thing based on looking at the virus. And I myself... Um, and had written a book in 2006, The Coming China Wars, uh, that uh, in, had predicted uh, that China would create a global pandemic that would kill millions. I mean, think about that. And, and it's like, it wasn't like a, a genius prediction. It was simply that if you looked at SARS-CoV-1 that happened a few years earlier, it's pretty easy to extrapolate. Yeah, it was going to happen again just because of who and what the Chinese Communist Party is and are. So I'm sitting there in a cold sweat, and I'm thinking to myself, uh, what, are these, what are these Chinese diplomats? No, this, uh, this up here is the, uh, he's the ambassador here in D.C. Uh, a famous story about him is he actually brought a panda bear. This is typical CCP stuff. He brought a panda bear uh, to a congressman's office um, and it turned out it had listening devices. And this guy's still in the country. Um, this guy here, young guy here, he's like the Matt Pottinger of China. He's actually the brains behind all these things. And the advantage these, these apparatchiks have over the U.S. government is, is they, they're there for their life, right? They, they don't have to worry about transitions. They don't have to worry about, about bureaucrats going away who know about China and being replaced by people who don't. Um, and so I'm sitting there watching these guys. I know these guys really well. This guy here was brought in, interestingly, I would point to the tall guy in the middle for the podcasters, uh, was brought in actually to babysit Leo Ha, because Leo Ha had signed this full 
deal. Uh, and Xi Jinping took one look and said, we're not doing that. And ergo, the skinny deal uh, was born. But, but historically, here's what you have to understand uh, with respect to Pearl Harbor. Uh, the Cordell Hull moment in American history is really part and parcel of what happened on December 7th because it was on December 6th that the Japanese came to the State Department to visit with Cordell Hull, the Secretary of State. And as uh, they were seemingly trying to negotiate a peace deal uh, with the United States and, and, and exhibiting this willingness to negotiate and resolve things, um, Yamamoto, the admiral of, of, uh, of Japan, was already moving his carrier strike group in uh, for the Pearl Harbor kill. I mean, think about that, right? Cordell Hall moment. Japanese diplomats come to the State Department, and Yamamoto is getting ready to do the strike. There is no difference between what happened here. Let's be clear about what these folks knew. They knew that the virus came from the Wuhan lab. Uh, they knew that it had bioweapons capabilities. Uh, they knew that um, it had escaped already uh, over a month ago because there had been incidents there. Um, there, was a, there was a significant risk that at least one or more of these diplomats were infected with the virus and they were within uh, less than social distance from the president and the vice president of the United States. Um, they knew all of that, but, but they never said a word, not a word, not a word to any of us. It was just, yeah, we're here to smile and sign this skinny-ass trade deal. And that trade deal was a skinny-ass trade deal. It was very far away from what the original deal was. And so... Um, the other thing I think that's, that's really important about this is the, the per person who isn't in this picture here is Anthony Fauci, because it was Fauci that made all of this possible. Fauci essentially transferred the technology to the Chinese to allow them to genetically engineer a bioweapon that could be used to attack America that could be used to take Hong Kong. Let's remember, let's remember that Hong Kong ultimately fell to the jackboots of the Chinese because the Chinese could use, the Chinese Communist Party could use uh, the excuse of the virus to lock people up in their apartment buildings, keep them away uh, from the streets and the protests, and they took Hong Kong. Last thing I want to say about uh, December 7th is um, there, uh, they, they just understand how serious it is. There are more dead already, already today in America from the Chinese Communist Party virus, the Fauci virus, than in all of the wars we've ever fought. Think about that. Just think about that in solemnity. And so as we as we talk about this day today, December 7th, let's remember that we are in the middle of a, of a third Pearl Harbor. All right, we'll be, uh, we'll be right back. This segment of the In Trump Time podcast is brought to you by Steve Bannon's War Room. Join Bannon's War Room posse and get tomorrow's news today.
All signal, no noise. Bannon's War Room. War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Maybe smart in Georgia, but it's not smart when you look at it. And this is, quite frankly, an insult. David Perdue didn't lift his a finger. Everything you're seeing in the Senate could have been stopped if David Perdue had had the guts, the, the courage, the knowledge to step up after November 3rd and say exactly what went on in Georgia then. In November 4th and 5th is when we need him, not December, not December 6th. This is the kind of travesty. They talk about the MAGA base taking over the Republican Party. God bless you. Because otherwise, it's a sad, sick joke. Brian Kemp and David Perdue, that's example of leadership. That is gutless, feckless. There's no different than Democrats, okay? Except they want bigger tax cuts for the wealthy and more deregulation. That's exactly what they stand for. That is Stephen K. Bannon at his very best. That's why people tune into this show. That's why they want to put him in handcuffs and behind jail, in in jail, because he speaks truth to power. Now, what I'm going to be saying in this this section, um, I want to make clear, I never talked to Steve about his case, and he never talks to me about mine. Um, Next week, uh, I'm going to be in the same kind of barrel as Stephen K. Bannon is in today, um, he's going to uh, basically litigate this case where he's been held in contempt of Congress um, because he is refusing uh, to cooperate uh, based on the assertion uh, of executive privilege. I'm facing the same thing um, next week uh, with a different committee, a subcommittee run uh, by uh, James Clyburn. Uh, Clyburn, as you may well know, is the po- person probably most responsible for uh, the feckless Joe Biden being in the White House because it was Clyburn who, at a critical time in South Carolina, gave Biden his endorsement. Biden won that primary and then uh, swept the, uh, the next primaries. And, and before we knew it, um, Clyburn had uh, had put feckless uh, Joe upon uh, upon uh, this world. What I want to do um, in this block here um, is uh, point out how cowardly Mark Meadows is. Uh, I want to point out uh, this guy Mark Short, um, how dangerous, devious he is. I want to talk a little bit about. The Pence betrayal of the American Caesar, Donald Trump, the Shakespearean tragedy um, associated that of that. And I want to talk uh, most broadly about the, the Green Bay sweep, um, which exonerates both Stephen K. Bannon uh, and Donald John Trump uh, from any, any implication uh, of seeking any kind of violence on Capitol Hill. So let me let me start with Mark Short. Most of you out there don't know who this guy is, but everybody out in uh, in War Room land needs to know who Mark Short is. Um, and and coincidentally, I was out yesterday uh, near uh, the Navy Archive uh, near the DOJ, and who else? Who do I see? Uh, but Mark Short, he's walking along. Um, in his in his uh, three three piece suit, he's got his earbuds in, looking very pensive. And I'm thinking to myself, 
Well, what could this guy possibly doing? And then I look over and, oh, yeah, it's the FBI. And sure enough, uh, what, what we heard uh, yesterday was that Mark Short is cooperating with the FBI uh, with respect to the events um, on January 6th. Let me make clear um, what exactly happened with Mark Short. I go back to my time in the White House when he first showed up. This is what always blew my mind. It's like I come in November um, of 20, uh, excuse me, January 2017, fresh off the campaign with the president, full of vim and vinegar, ready to push ahead the Trump agenda. I keep meeting these guys who, wait a minute, <laughs> they don't support the trade agenda. They don't support a tough border. Why are these people here? And if I had to put the, the people who were at the top of that food chain as the why are these people here, it would have been Mark Short. He was a, a close confidant of the vice president, um, and he was put in place initially as the legislative director. He, uh, he got fired uh, for incompetence. Uh, at one point, but unfortunately, Pence brought Short back. Now, why is Mark Short so important? He's the guy who for years worked for the shadowy Koch network. Okay, connect these dots. The Koch brothers give a lot of money to conservatives, but it's only those rhino-type conservatives, the Brian Kemp's and David Perdue's of this world that Steve Bannon excoriated earlier in this segment. That's who the Koch brothers support. Yeah, you want deregulation? Oh, yeah, that's great. You, you want corporate tax cuts? Oh, yeah, Koch brothers love that. But you want to secure that border and cut off the supply of cheap labor? Nope, Koch's against that. You want to offshore jobs to China? Oh, yeah, the Kochs love that. So, so you had, had Mark Short in, in the belly of the White House beast for four years acting as, as essentially a fifth column in there, disrupting the Trump agenda. And so what, what happened on January 6th was really interesting. Um, the whole Green Bay sweep plan was, was, was a genius idea of Steve Bannon, okay? It was the idea that on Capitol Hill on January 6th, we would need peace and calm. We would need peace and calm to allow a process to unfold, the objective of which was to remand the voting results back to the six battleground states for 10 days so that we could take, a, 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 take enough time to basically reevaluate all the fraud and election irregularities we knew existed. Right? We had 100 congressmen lined up. We had six senators lined up. We had everything we needed to basically use the powers of the vice president, Mike Pence, to basically first allow the, the, uh, the um, remanding to the, to the hearings on Capitol Hill. It's like challenge Arizona, that would be two hours in, in each of the, uh, uh, House, the House and the Senate of televised hearings. We figured with 24 hours of hearings, that would raise public awareness of the level of the fraud and irregularities and would provide Pence the political capital he needed to make what was the correct constitutional decision to delay certification of the results pending information from the states. And so um, 
as I wrote in, 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 in the In Trump Time book, in the tw chapter 21, it's like, as dawn broke on a cold, raw, and windy day, the last three people on God's good earth who wanted violence to erupt on Capitol Hill were Stephen K. Bannon, Donald John Trump, and myself. And it was because everything, everything hinged on a peaceful process on Capitol Hill. Now, what went wrong? Well, of course, the violence, yes, but the other thing that went wrong was that Mark Short worked with this other guy, Greg Jacob, who's, who's also a villain, and rightly so, in the In Trump Time book. The two of them, and, and, um, and Jake was the general counsel to Pence, cooked up a memorandum uh, that, that Pence would then use to justify uh, his behavior in betraying President Trump. And so now we fast forward, and Short, of course, is cooperating with the FBI, uh, executive privilege be damned, uh, but also Mark Meadows. I mean, look, Mark was the fourth chief of staff, fourth, fourth time wasn't uh, always a charm, I can assure you of that. Um, and just today, breaking news, Meadows has withdrawn his cooperation uh, with uh, the, the committee, uh, but he never should have given that to begin with. And this is why Steve's battle is so important. You have to understand, and I was on the inside at the highest rank of a senior official in the White House. You have to understand, dating back to George Washington, presidents have always protected executive privilege because they understand that if senior advisors can't have discussions with them that will be kept effectively uh, protected, then the presidents themselves can't get the best kind of advice they are going to need, and therefore we won't get the best decisions for the republic. And so dating back to Washington um, and Jefferson, all the way through, there's all sorts of challenges to executive privilege, but the overriding principle is that presidents never, ever give up the privilege unless it's for the public good. And so if you start with the premise of both the January 6th committee and Clyburn's committee that's coming after me, there's no public good here. We know these are Democrat witch hunts that have politicized and weaponized the investigatory process. And so um, Steve's in the barrel today. I'll be in the barrel next week. But we have to respect um, executive privilege. And I would say one last thing um, to these committees and their investigations. It's like, uh, particularly in my case next week, because they're, they're looking at pandemic-related issues. It's like, hey, if you really want to find out something, why don't you investigate why the Biden regime has seen more people die than in the Trump administration? And oh, by the way, there is that thing about Fauci with the Wuhan lab gain of function experiments and him creating the pandemic. Sure, we'd like to know about that. Well, that's it for this edition of Peter Navarro's In Trump Time War Room. Be sure to order your own copy of In Trump Time today on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And during this holiday season, consider gifting copies of In Trump Time to your friends and family. In Trump Time is a great gift for this holiday season. 
and you may want to try the audiobook. This innovative production features the voices of everyone from Stephen K. Bannon, Victor Davis Hanson, and Corey Lewandowski to President Trump himself. In Trump Time, Truth, Straight, No Chaser, the definitive insider's account of the White House of Trump. In Trump Time, buy it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble today.